great to be here. Um, it's been a long time since I've done three services in the morning. Uh, I don't know what you're going to get. I really don't at this point. <laughs> Jesus loves you. Let's go eat. I mean, oh, I got my legs under me. I'm feeling good. Uh, I, I do want to uh, thank all of you as I've started the other services this weekend. Uh, really from the heart and just thank you from City Church, um, which is should be wrapping up about right now. Uh, we meet every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Um, and they've been praying for us and we uh, obviously been praying for them this morning. But uh, I wanted to say thank you for uh, what you're doing. And, and maybe you don't really even know what this whole church planting partnership is about. But I want to thank you for your trust and your faithfulness uh, to this leadership, your pastor, uh, and the vision to uh, to partner and connect with other churches and to plant. And each church plant is different. Some are, some of the church planters may be a little younger than me uh, and have more energy. And those are the ones what, we send out of state somewhere. And, you know, but I'm 51. I grew up in Anderson um, and fell in love with Jesus Christ back in 1999. And uh, ever since then, I have been one of those people that God knows will, will go where he says, um, sometimes kicking and screaming, sometimes I, I go willingly uh, right away, but I eventually go. And I want to tell you just a little story today about City Church, but uh, to kind of end this point of my gratitude for you, I want you to know that your pastor uh, provided for me personally in my time of transition from a large church uh, to this inner city church um, when I felt like I was alone on an island, uh, provided wisdom, uh, prayer, friendship, and uh, before we even talked about partnership, I want you to know that, and uh, it meant a lot to me. So I, I um, you have a great pastor and, and leadership here, and I'm, I'm thankful for it personally in my life, and also thankful that you guys are partnering with us. Um, as he said, I've written three books. <clears throat> They're on Amazon. The Goof Principle, The Jesus Tattoo, and Wrecking Ball, which I was writing way before Miley Cyrus wrote that song, okay? <laughs> so don't make any connection there. Um, my fourth book is, is all kind of about what has happened in this transition and leading to the inner city and how God changed my heart and taught me a lot about reconciliation. And the basis of the book is, is the narrative that we find in Luke's gospel, uh, Luke chapter 4. And you should go home and read that sometime and just read it over and over and over again because what we have here is Jesus saying, I have come to preach good news or I've come to bring good news to the poor. And he goes on and says, I'm also going to open the eyes of the blind and I'm going to set the captives free and, and you know, bring relief to those who have been oppressed and, and all those things. And the crowd that day was really into it. They were like, yes, could this be the Messiah? You know, he's saying all the right things. And and at that point, the Jews really still thought it was just about them. And they were supporting him until he said, it's not exclusive to you. <clears throat> it's for everybody. You read on in that narrative, you find that they tried to kill him after he said that. And I think why that's so important in, in the way I start this message off is we got to get the right definition of the poor. We got to get the right definition of of who it is that Jesus has good news for. So when I started studying this verse um, and realizing that 
it dawned on me, Jesus only brought good news. He didn't bring anything else. And I know what we do in this time and in this culture. We, we, we find the least of these. We find those who are marginalized. We find the poor. We find the homeless. We find those who, who are trying to, to get a break, and, and they're in a shelter or they're in a program like the Christian Center in Anderson that I'm connected with uh, on the same block and the, and the city church chapels on the end of that block. Um, and we want to bring them things. And that's fine. We should. We should continue to bring resources to people like that and to programs like that. But but Jesus only brought good news. No food, no clothes, no gas card, no Xbox, just good news. And I started thinking that must be some really, really good news. What Jesus was saying was, look, I have good news to bring to the poor, which has nothing to do with how much materialism you have or how much wealth you have. The good news I bring to the poor is it will no longer be about status. So if you're not in the right family or if you're not connected to the priesthood or if you're not this or if you're not that and you don't have any opportunity or a a name to stand on or you're on the margins and and you're set out on the outside of the camp and, and you're looked upon or looked down upon, I have good news. The kingdom is coming. The kingdom is near. And in my father's kingdom, there is no status. We're all the same. Now, to live that is hard because we still live in a culture that every day we can differentiate status and class and economics and race and all of those things. But the good news is universal. That good news has the power, if we let it, to bring us into kinship with the least of these. And that's different than contact or fellowship or visiting or doing this. And that's what I'm going to talk about, why City Church and you partnering with it is so important and what it's doing to the heart of Anderson right now, which so desperately needed it. As Pastor said, I was a pastor of a pretty large church, not as large as this, uh, but I'm from Pendleton. There's only two big buildings in Pendleton. One's the prison and one was my church, okay? We had about 800 people. And um, when I came in as their senior pastor, um, they were facing some tough times. And we turned some things around with God's help and we were on fire, man. We were baptizing people. It was new wine. It was a new pastor. It was the gospel. And I'm kind of a rebel and and... I've got a great testimony about how God delivered me from some things early on in my walk. And, and, and it's the place in which I live. And, and so when they called me to pastor, I thought, man, this is really cool. This is it, you know. And after about five and a half years of pastoring and rebuilding the church and, and restaffing and some things like that, uh, the elders said, why don't you take a sabbatical? You've been in school. You've been, you've been doing a lot of this stuff. The first couple of years, we only had three staff, three staff. And we were turning 700 every weekend. Three, I didn't know what I was doing. Just showing up, preaching, and then cleaning out the bathrooms, right? But then we got it to this point. And, and they said, take a sabbatical. I went uh, through graduation at Anderson University and then went home, and I had three months. My wife was terrified, terrified. Uh, but I, I was eager. 
So I prayed and I asked God, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to read? What, what, what book in the Bible do you want me to read that, that, that maybe I need to read and, and soak into? And he kept saying Jeremiah, and I was like, nah, let's try a different one. <laughs> I mean, I, it's long. It's kind of hard to understand it at, at, at points. How about Philemon or Jonah? No. Jeremiah. So I started reading Jeremiah and actually it, it, it kind of came alive to me this time. And as God does, he opens your heart in different seasons and you ask him and he will reply. And then if, if by faith you obey, then you start to learn something. And I began to kind of see what was going on around me in the culture through the book of Jeremiah. And that while that was a different time, it was very applicable to what was going on in, in part of our culture about how God had chose Jeremiah to be a different kind of voice to reveal something that was a problem in our assumptions about how everything is okay. And if you read Jeremiah, you realize that at the time that he was preaching that everything was not okay. They kept saying it was okay, but it was not okay. And so on the heels of that, about a week after reading Jeremiah, I, I went on my first little trip of my sabbatical, which I had planned and I was very, very excited about. Uh, I went down to Duke University and uh, attended a conference. It was a week-long conference called the Summer Institute for Reconciliation. And basically what it was was a, about a seven, a seven and a half, eight-day intensive on God's heart for reconciliation. And all I can tell you, without over-dramatic, uh, you know, traumatizing it or whatever, is I, I just came back different. God had taken my heart and actually refined it even more about this one area of, of reconciliation and about how part of my view of reconciliation had been wrong. Part of my efforts to reconcile with, with others and other colors and other cultures has been one-sided. And I just came back different but I came back inspired. And so I came back with the idea that our church would, would start on some initiatives that we would, we would become the beacon of hope in South Madison County for reconciliation and racial justice and, 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 and reaching out and doing some things like nobody had ever seen. Remember, I'm kind of a rebel. But you know what always happens to a rebel? They're loved, but they're not around long. And God's plan was, finally, he said, Jay, I never said you're going to do this here. You have to go where I'm going to show you. And I knew it was to the city, and I knew it was in Anderson. I knew it was Madison County, but I didn't know where. But I, he also knew that I would eventually go. But it was hard. It's hard. It's a big church. Made a lot of relationships there. Uh, it, was, it was comfortable. It was routine. Um, we, we had fruit to show. But finally, God sat me down and, and said, you've done your job here. Now, go. So I resigned. Not knowing where I would land, but knowing that I was going to plant a church somewhere in Madison County that was going to be very specifically designed for those who society had kind of overlooked. So about two days into that, a friend of mine called who runs the Christian Center in Anderson, Indiana. His name's Rob Spaulding. Uh, I have a, a history with him and, and we go way back. 
It's a great ministry, much like the Muncie Mission and other uh, missions that you have here. He said, God woke me up at 2 o'clock in the morning and said, let's go have lunch. I need to ask you something. I said, all right. So we met at a Mexican restaurant. I don't know what it is about pastors and Mexican restaurants, but that's where we meet. We're always at a... I have a question, though. Which one is the real hacienda? Because they, they all say that, don't they? In some form or fashion. I want to know which, where was the first one. Anyway, that's how I think. So he said, Jay, God woke me up and said you know, this is it. This is what we've been waiting for. And I said, what are you talking about? He goes, well, we have that chapel on the end of the block there that nobody uses except for us in the middle of the week for one of our programs for the men. And and I think you should plant a church there. And after about seven seconds, God replayed all that stuff in my mind that I've been praying about, thinking about, writing down, journaling. And I said, yeah, that's it. That's the place. And so I resigned my pulpit Last year in February, in March 26th, we launched City Church. Now, you gotta, you got to picture this. This is a, a, a very quaint, has a lot of character, um, some nuances. What, what's another nice way to say dirty? <laughs> you know? Um, but that's what it is. You walk in off the street, you open the glass door, and there's this, there's this lobby area that's, that's not small. It's kind of like a narthex, but it's not even that. It's just a thex. It's not even a nar. It doesn't even have a nar. You know, it's just there. And then when you turn the corner to go in and sit down, there it is. There's, it, there's pews on both sides, and you sit down, and that's it. And it seats about 100 people. And I remember the first couple of weeks, I was running back to turn off the music and turn on my mic and then running back to the podium again to, to start. There's a little bathroom around the back, but that's it. When you come into City Church, you are seen and you see yourself. There's nowhere to, there's nowhere to, to hide. It was uncomfortable for me. But what began to happen was this. Some of the residents from the Christian Center who have the option to come to City Church begin to come. And they see themselves sitting down next to other people who support the ministry, like our local sheriff, judges, businessmen and women. And they find themselves sitting, worshiping Jesus next to someone that they thought they would never be sitting next to, worshiping Jesus. It is statusless. It's beautiful. Now, I didn't do that. God did that. And I went to where he showed me to go. And then the more I talked with Pastor Greg and what was going, he, he talked to me then about um, this church's heart for planting new ministries. And, and we talked about that. We talked about uh, what that would look like. And I kept saying, this is not a normal church plant. This is, this is unique, and, and he, he gets it. He knows. And so we entered into this relationship, and it's been a, a, a wonderful thing. One of the funny stories about City Church is uh, we have uh, worship that is usually one or two people. It's not a big place. And uh, early on, you know, I was trying to establish a rotation of some people that I knew. And then I landed on this one guy that I had done some work with before. And he's kind of our, our worship leader now. And his name is JT. His name is Jorge Torres, okay? And I've known this guy for a long time. 
And great musician, great heart. And um, like I said, we go way back. And so I asked him to lead worship one day, see if he'd like it, see if he could maybe become a part of it. And I've already explained the culture of City Church. And so he says, yeah, well, he gets there. Now, Jorge says, you know, Pastor Jay, I got to tell you, like, you know, there's, there was a time not so long ago that I kind of fell behind on my child support and, and I had to face the authorities. And, and I'm just telling you, I want you to know. I said, it's okay, Jorge. It's all right. He's being upfront and honest about that. And he's had a couple setbacks, but, but that was, you know, a couple years ago. He just wanted me to know. And I was like, no, that's fine. So he's leading worship. He steps up and he gets into amazing grace and he looks out. The first person he sees is the sheriff. Looks over this way. The next person he sees is a judge who attends city church and is now on my board. And then the caveat was in the middle, there was one of his defense attorneys that had helped him through this legal issue who is just part of city church. That's where they come to worship. They all work downtown. They love city church. Jorge wasn't so sure. So after Amazing Grace, he comes over to me and whispers in my ear. He goes, Pastor Jay, I got to know right now, is this some kind of sting? <laughs> Honestly, I said, no, I wouldn't do that to you, Jorge. He was like, Whew. but that's the culture. That's it. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to, to have a moment with someone who has never even thought that they could have a conversation with a sheriff or a judge or an attorney anywhere else but a courtroom. But there we are standing side by side on Sundays, hearing the word of God, worshiping, giving, I'll never forget one of the sounds, and I haven't shared this in any of the other services. I try to do something different in each service, uh, partly because of my ADD and partly just because that's the way I am. But uh, I'll never forget what brought me to tears one time was when we passed the offering plates. And, you know, as a pastor, I'm hoping, yeah, I'm hoping some of the attorneys show up that day, right? I'm hoping that, that this is going to work out all right. But then I see the back row where, where a lot of these guys come from and, and some of the, uh, those who are down on their luck. And I hear the coins hitting the pot, the quarters and the nickels. And after that, it's just like, oh, Lord, where's my faith? On the video that you saw, uh, hopefully you caught a glimpse uh, at one point of the, the summer baptism that we did. And uh, during that time, it was um, in Anderson. It was uh, in a lake. And it was right next to the White River. And it had crested over because we had a lot of rain. And it was dirty and it was murky and it was, it was terrible. It was, you know, we probably should have called it off, but we didn't because it was, you know, we didn't really know where the drop-offs were anymore and where the snakes were and all that kind of stuff. But, but 14 people walked out into that muddy water and were baptized. One was a gang member. One was an attorney, and the other was a white-collared, uh, very successful businessman, along with some other people. But I'm, I'm giving you those three to give you uh, a view of, of what happened that day, arm in arm. Now, there was one guy there, his name's Jimmy B. You know, I've, I've taken a liking to Jimmy B, and he's a former gang member. Um, and he had his gang clothes with him as we walked out into the water. 
these old gang colors. And uh, me being the pastor, always making sure that, you know, everything is theologically correct, you know. Sometimes we can do that. We get a little nervous when, when people say certain things or they want to do this or they want to do that. And I said, what are you doing with those, Jimmy B? He goes, well, I'm going to be baptized holding the gang clothes on my, on my chest. And I said, no, well, wait a minute, you, wait a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> wait a minute. You know that, like, that doesn't make it okay. You're not going to come up a, a Christian gang member, are you? And he goes, no. He said, this is, this is the part of me that's dying. And when I come up, I'm going to be alive in Christ, and I'm going to put these in the trash. And I went, my bad, my bad. Once again, Shut up, pastor. One of the things that I was challenged with while I was at Duke that led to this transition was um, finding a mentor and, and, and a mentor of color, a mentor um, in the inner city that I could learn from, not just get permission from to start a church, not just to to do a picnic together or to, or to march together or something like that at some point or come together and do some event, but, but to get to know. And I found that person and, and I sit at his feet about once every two weeks in Anderson for two to three hours and we talk. And it started off with him doing all the talking and me doing all the listening. And, and I'm so glad that it happened that way because I learned a lot. And, and I learned that I didn't know as much as I thought about reconciliation again uh, between culture and between color. And I see things now that I didn't see before that, is, that have helped me connect. And that leads me to the scripture that I want to share with you today, leave you with today, and encourage you with today. And it's found in Genesis. Because these two questions, if you don't remember anything else about me or City Church or the great things that this church is doing and partnering with us, remember these two questions that God asked someone who didn't have status. And it's the story of... Um, Abram and Sarah and their slave, Hagar. If you know the story, you know that God promised them a child. Sarah got impatient and jumped ahead and had Abram, her husband, sleep with the maidservant, the slave. She was an Egyptian slave. And once she became pregnant, once she conceived, things changed. Because in that culture, if, <clears throat> if that happened that child would have had the same status as Sarah and Abram. This was not normal, but it was, it was part of their culture. This was understood. Sarah didn't really like all of that every, once everything changed. And so she said, Abram, you know, what are we going to do with her? And he said, like a good husband, it's your decision, honey. And so Sarah said, Hagar, she mistreated her so much that she fled. Now, here's a slave, no status, pregnant. And not only did she leave Sarah and Abram, she left any sense of food, shelter, uh, any help. And we pick up the story because the two questions that were asked of her gave her the strength to go back. And it's found in the scripture, Genesis 16, 7 through 8. The angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring of water in the wilderness along the road to Shur. The angel said to her, Hagar, called her by name, Sarah's servant, identified her status. Where have you come from and where are you going? 
God already knew. But he took the time to say, what's your story? Where have you come from? What has led you to this? I want to hear it. I want to hear your brokenness. I want to hear what happened. I want to hear about you. I want to hear about you. And then once I hear about you, I'm going to ask you another question. Where do you think you're going? Where do you think this is going to take you? And finally, God said, no, you're going to go back and you're going to submit to her. And when I first read that, I was like, wow, that's harsh. But see, God's heart for reconciliation is this. The only way we figure out about the statuslessness in the kingdom is when we have the strength to go back or to submit to someone else. Why? Where did she find that strength? She goes on to say, I have now seen the one who what? Sees me. When we know that in the kingdom of God, God sees us. He sees you, he sees you, you, and you know what? Your status is child of God. When you know that and you're empowered by that, you can do some pretty uncomfortable things in relationships where you have to submit or surrender or take that high road that we talk about a lot of times. She had to go back and submit. Why? Because God knew that reconciliation was the key. And he also knew that this young girl would probably die if she didn't go back. Two questions that I've learned to ask in many different ways for the people at City Church is where have you come from and where are you going? Which sound a lot different than what did you do and how are you going to fix it? It's amazing to drive through the streets of Anderson this time around, without the police chasing me. No, I'm just kidding. Um, this time around, and, and to see some of the people that, that visit City Church who find daily work um, that's available, that live in apartments around or uh, up and down some of the poorer streets of Anderson who live at the Christian Center, uh, to have made friends with them and then have them walking down the street and see me with my little blue city church sticker on the back of my 2001 Toyota 4Runner with 231,000 miles and is about to die. So if there's any car dealers in here, we need to talk afterwards. When they see me and they go, Pastor Jay, and I will roll down the window or I'll, I'll stop and I'll hear him. That's my pastor. And little do they know when I drive off, I often just cry. This church is helping people. This church is allowing people to have the questions asked, where did you come from and where are you going? I'm not qualified to do what I'm doing. All those accolades that your pastor laid on me, those are great, but you know what? What's happening here is because I said yes, your pastor said yes, you said yes, and people's lives are actually being changed through the simplicity of the gospel. And I couldn't be more thankful. So from City Church to you, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for being open-minded about this uh, partnership 
and church planting that this church uh, is doing, not just in Anderson, but in other places. I think we all know, back to Jeremiah, that if we stop long enough and look around hard enough, we, we all kind of know everything's not okay. But you're helping tremendously, and I thank you. Let's pray. Father, I'm so grateful for this uh, body of Christ that you have engineered uh, as the way to do things uh, with each other through relationship um, so that your kingdom will will actually be seen. Lord, I, I know that people here sometimes probably question, what, what, what is it that we're having an impact on? What are we doing? And Lord, I hope today in some small way, I've, I've just given them a glimpse of the tangible things that can be accomplished through the unity in the body of Christ. I thank you for them. I thank you for this worship team, which is awesome. It's been such a blessing this weekend for me. I thank you for the pastor and his wife. I pray special blessing upon them and anointing and protection as they head into this Lenten season on prayer, which is so important. I pray for anyone here today who, who maybe also needed to be asked, where have you come from and where are you going? Just know God knows and he's with you and there is healing. Lord, bless us and continue to teach us about your kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen.